Hello, Junior Wizards. It's me, Senior Wizard Aaron Catano Saez, and this is the Celeste Silverna audio drama compilation track, episodes one through five. In the background, that's my air conditioner. You guys are going to be getting to know each other for the next few months, as it's 91 in Brooklyn today. <laughs> but I digress. For new listeners, Celeste Silverna is an ongoing audio drama series set in the world of fantasy in our dark timeline. I wanted to make something for new and old listeners where you can follow a new original character, Celeste Silverna, going on an actual adventure in the world of fantasy. For those who are new, don't worry, I included a lore refresher segment in the first episode, so you are hooked the hell up. So basically, this is all Celeste Silverna episodes so far in one convenient audio track. Thank you, Aaron. You're welcome. If you like what you heard, don't forget to tell a friend about All My Fantasy Children. It's the best way to help our pod grow, and I so look forward to making part six because a lot of people have been really loving this, and I love making it for you. So I love you. I hope you enjoy. Let's go. Oh, the retro opening. From worlds beyond to right at the gaming table. These are all my fantasy children. Welcome all to All My Fantasy Children. My name is Eric Atano Saez. This week, we have a special episode for our junior wizards. It will be an audio drama and a lore refresher all in one. This entire idea was inspired by a prompt from Demoon Rules, and we are so excited to share it with you. So way back in episode 6, Jeff and I decided that in the distant future of our world called fantasy, the source of magic we call the ley lines would be damaged, ushering in what we refer to as the dark future. Now, we haven't gotten to the cause of this event until now. So to figure out how we got to where we are, I think it is best to look to the past. Enjoy the tale of Celeste Silverna and the end of the ley lines. Our tale begins at the creation of fantasy. There are two planes in our universe, the cosmic plane and the material. Before the existence of time itself, two celestial sisters battled within the cosmic plane for control of the material. Their names were Ether and Astra. Ether, the entity of chaos, bested her sister and successfully reached the door to the material plane. However, upon entering, her consciousness was split into five beings of tremendous power who would be known simply as the Five. The Five, red, blue, yellow, cyan, and magenta, worked together in harmony to fill the void of the material plane with a near-infinite amount of worlds. Collaborative world-building would be their inspiration, the five only making a world once they had reached a complete consensus. Together, the five would watch over their worlds and provide its inhabitants with everything they would ever need. That is, until Red became bored with this routine and had an idea. A fun change of pace, a game, perhaps. What if each member of the five created a culture separately, and these cultures would then inhabit a world together. The twist was, the five would not be an active hand. The cultures would have to grow and learn to thrive on their own. Each of the five would create one relic for their culture to find. These items would imbue their holder with enough power to take the place as a protector and provider for their people. The other four agreed to the terms. The role of overseer would be replaced by parent. 
the five would let go of their children's hand, leaving them free to experience their world alone. But this was no easy task for the five, as they loved their new children so very much and were not ready to let them go alone. Magenta proposed that the five dwell within this world, not in their current form, but that they would become a source of power for their children, that within every single living thing would swirl the power of the five. The beings of this planet would all share a common thread, and that thread would be called magic, the essence of life within their new world, fantasy. And so the world was made. The five gave up their forms and became a network of magical energy within the planet called the Ley Lines. The hearts of these Ley Lines would rest beneath the five great cities of fantasy, hidden, protected, safe. And so, the being known as Ether, having filled the material plane with chaos energy, rested at last. But what of Astra, the sister of order? Over on the cosmic plane... Astra continues to attempt to force her will into the material plane. With every attempt, order energy crosses over, takes form, and becomes what is known as a demon. Blue and Red, having seen the appearance of demons on previous worlds they've made, secretly created a contingency plan for such an occurrence on Fantasy. Should the planet called Fantasy be threatened by the presence of a demon, two beings would be created. These two would possess their creator's corresponding relics and act as a protector and healer to the planet. As fantasy developed and the cultures began their exploration of their region, Astra's will began to influence fantasy. There was word of a prophecy. It spoke of the arrival of a carrion king. And as the winds of order began to blow, the planet answered back. Formed of the sky itself came Arthur, the Azure King of the Beast Folk, wielder of the Eyes of the Overseer, and from the burning fire of the cosmos came Lumina Dawnspear, the Flare Star, ruler of Dragon and wielder of the Prismatic Pendant. Soon the prophecy became reality, and Astra's will became flesh. A massive amount of order energy became Serath, the Carrion King, a demon with near-limitless power. Serath began their reign of terror by corrupting an entire region of fantasy with their power of ruin, a power to corrupt and convert anything, living or not, into a minion of the Carrion King. The region twisted by this power would forever be known as the Ruined Lands, a dangerous and unforgiving terrain, a place where the light of the Ley Lines could no longer reach. Arthur and Lumina traveled to the Ruined Lands and battled Serath but were unsuccessful in stopping them. It would take the combined power of all five relic wielders, Arthur, Lumina, Nymphaea Lachis of Cyan, the machine god of yellow and sprout Brussels of magenta to finally stop Serath. The demon king was laid to rest at last, but the ruined lands would forever stand as a monument to this evil lord, a region scarred by battle, and the burial place to the greatest threat fantasy has ever known. But as time passed, the world moved on. The legend of Serath became a children's tale, and the ruined lands simply became a region of fantasy where none would simply want to live. Well, that is except for one family. And so this begins the tale of Celeste Silverna and the end of the ley lines. For generations, the Silverna family has called the land of ruin home. Life in this place is what we would think of as mundane by fantasy standards, 
Rise with the sun, work the land, make repairs here and there, eat dinner, go to sleep. There is not much room for adventure when you have a life devoid of magic. As we learned before, ruin is cut off from the ley lines. So the Silverna family have lived their lives without the use of a single magic spell. Ever. Despite that fact, the family has been content and happy for as far back as anyone in that small house can remember. Set in their ways, the small family live out their days the way their parents taught them and their parents before them. The Silverna, though, are not without their quirks. For example, one tradition the family has maintained for eons is the drawing. In short, the youngest must draw a pail of water every night for the family to ceremoniously drink before they go to sleep. The water that was used during the day to bathe, drink, cook, what have you, could be from any other source other than that specific well. Once the youngest returned home, a cup would be filled, it would pass from one family member to the next, and it would continue until the pail was empty. The water from this well was seen by the Silverna as the secret to their continued health and happiness in the land of ruin. And their happiness did continue for some time. Life goes on in ruin as it does all over fantasy. Days end. Months pass. Years conclude. Throughout this time, the Silverna family continued their wonderful routine. Rise, work, repair, eat, draw from the well, sleep. That is, of course, until Celeste Silverna, the youngest of her family, went out, as she had hundreds of times, to draw a pail of water from the well. Celeste stepped out into the cool evening air, the twinkling stars lighting her way down that very familiar path. Pale in hand, she hummed a simple tune as she strolled along toward her goal. Celeste loved the drawing. It was her time and no one else's. A silent time for reflection before she drifted off to bed. As she came upon the wor- Suddenly the pail fell to the ground. Her eyes and mouth wide. There where her family's well stood for generations, was an enormous, nightmarish pit. Seemingly bottomless, it spewed a dark miasma that made her choke as she approached the abyss. She stood at the edge, frozen with fear, the miasma beginning to swirl all around her. Deep within the chasm, she could see a faint, sickly green light, pulsing like a heartbeat. Celeste found it Strangely beautiful. This beautiful green... She was snapped back to reality as a roar bellowed from the depths, and the ground began to quake. As Celeste took off running, the earth around the pit began to crack and fall. The ground gave way behind her as she sprinted, narrowly missing the openings by a foot. Finally, she reached her home. Her lungs burning with exhaustion, she was greeted by the terrified, frozen faces of her parents staring back toward the well. Only they were setting their gaze skyward. As Celeste turned, she saw an enormous darkness rising from the ground, towering into the heavens. What she saw, she would be unable to describe for the rest of her life. It was as if her every fear took form. The sky turned an inky black. The rumbling intensified, knocking the family off of their feet. And then it stopped. A beam of cerulean blue light fired into the heavens from a far-off land. Then, a beam of yellow, red, cyan, magenta. The colors pierced the pitch-black sky, pushing back the shadow cast by this entity. 
Celeste saw the beams replaced by five enormous animals of light. The giant beasts faced the entity, letting out a deafening roar of defiance, and together rushed toward the great shadow. A great whale of cyan, shining in the moonlight. A mighty tortoise of yellow, bearing a mountain on its back. A ferocious eagle of blue, whose talons pierced the sky. A fiery frog of red, with a blaze hotter than the sun itself. And a magnificent horse of magenta, who could outrun time. These six beings charged across the planet, unleashing the full might of their power. At the Nexus Lake, the beings clashed. There was a blinding light, a wave of great force. And for Celeste, a long silence. When she came to, Celeste was far from her home in ruin. She stood up, dusted herself off, and tried to get her bearings. The first thing that she noticed was the sky. It was wrong. It resembled cracked pane of glass. Enormous chunks missing from it, giving a view into another world or another plane. The chill of evening blew over her, making Celeste shiver. Her top priority became clear in this strange new place. Shelter and food. As she scoped out the nearby area for a place to settle in, she noticed the smoke of a campfire not far from her. Celeste knew she would be safer in a group than alone. But then again, this was her first time out of ruin. She would have to learn to make friends that weren't her family, and quickly. She set off walking toward the campfire, all the while studying these strange new plants and animals. How far was she from ruin? There wasn't anything like this back home. Now that she thought of it, why wasn't she at the campfire yet? It couldn't have been more than a mile. But Celeste had been walking now for two hours, and it still seemed a mile off. She should have paused. Our prompt this week comes to us from Demoon Rules. The prompt is, A stray beam of light from a field caught the eye of a passerby. When they investigated further, they found a mostly buried weapon. Astonishingly, it was the right size for its new owner. The ancient weapon hungered, and the leeching began anew. Right along the path, impossible to miss, was a small beam of light coming from the ground. Pushing away dirt and some leaves, she found the source. The light was coming from a lacquered, blackthorn box, a little worn with time, but humming with an energy that Celeste found inspiring. She set the box down the ground and mustered up the courage to open it. A foul-smelling air wafted from it, but when the smoke cleared, within the box was a small, ornate wand. Celeste found it to be the most beautiful thing she had ever seen and picked it up to get a better look. As she did, a deep hum shot through her hand and spoke directly into her mind. Oh, child of ruin, the battle for the cosmos swirls within you. Born of the well of chaos, for years you drank deep from the waters of order. The light you bear is not of this realm, but it is still light. We five are weak, and our power no longer provides for this world. Only you, a being of both chaos and order, can wield the event horizon and heal this broken world. Seek out our dying embers, 
gather them within the wand, and let them burn once more with the lone star in the sky. Do not fear, O child of ruin. The world is with you. The wand went silent. Celeste sat down on the path and looked up at the night sky, so different now from her walks to that well, but still the same sky. She took her moment of reflection, as she had hundreds of times, and thought, It is my time. It is time for the drawing. Welcome all to All My Fantasy Children. My name is Erica Tanosayas, and this week we have a special episode for you. So, without further ado, Celeste Silverna and the End of the Ley Lines, Part 2. Celeste walked forward for days and saw nothing. No one. Weeks went by, and not a soul. Every day was spent walking through this new world. Every sight a blend of fascinating and troubling. Where was everyone? Months passed. By now she had moved through at least five small towns that were completely empty. Today, she found a dusty old town in a region of green and decided to rest at the abandoned inn. She was no stranger to an empty village, so this was becoming a routine for her. 1. Find a structure or settlement. When you first arrive, call out to see if anyone is still around. 2. Explore the town. Learn as much as you can in one day about the people who lived there, and if possible, the world. For Celeste, scrounging for information became her new daytime activity. Thumbing through every book, menu, photo album, music score, box of old letters, trying to piece together who these people were in this new place she was, well, stuck in. The real treasure to be found? History texts. To her, they were the key in making sense of this situation and figuring out how to get back home to ruin. As for the wand, it stayed with her, hanging from her hip in a holster she made from scraps of leather. Celeste hates it. It's a weight, bouncing on her hip as useful as it is talkative. It hasn't spoken to her since the first time she picked it up. Every day, she thinks about leaving it behind. And every day, she picks it up and puts it right back on her hip. It has to do something, she thought. She would point the wand at things and say magic words and flick her wrist, but nothing. And every time she did, she would think back to the day she received it. Gather dying embers, and let them burn with the lone star in the sky, whatever that means. When her mind would drift back to that day, she would always see the shape of the great shadow, and she would get angry. She thought, if this wand has the power to fix things, I'm ready to use it. I'll blast the shadow with it, or whatever I have to do, I don't care. I just want to go home again. I'm tired of being by myself. I miss my folks. I miss laughing. Did mom and dad make Will it out alive? Me in again? Is it destroyed? What am I supposed to do? Where am I strong? Where am I? Where am I? A routine. Every day the same. Walk. Find a town. Try out the wand. Feel weak. Go to sleep. It was a hard time for Celeste Silverna. Today is no different. She lays in a small twin bed in an abandoned inn in a dusty town in an area of green staring at the ceiling, wondering, will I make it out alive? Am I strong enough? She felt tears creeping into her eyes. Taking a deep breath, she fought them off as best she could. Damn it. 
damn everything. I hate this. I hate this town. I hate this bed. I hate this world. And I really hate this damn wand. Cthud. What was that? A thundering sound from outside. Loud footfalls. Large footfalls. Celeste threw the covers over her head. No, 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 nobody, nothing. I haven't seen anything alive for weeks. She was frozen in her bed, paralyzed with fear. The terror creeped over the back of her neck and squeezed her tight. Her shoulders clenched, her jaw tightened, her breath quickened. Outside of the inn, she could hear it. The trot of a horse. Her eyes widened. That is impossible. I searched every inch of this town. I haven't seen any life for weeks. This makes no sense. The hooves fell loud on the hard-packed town road, so hard that Celeste heard the thin window panes of her room tremble. That is not normal. This is not normal. How big is this? What is this? Memories of the day the great shadow took ruin shot into her mind. The pounds of the hooves came closer to the small inn. It knows I'm here. Oh my god, oh my god, it knows I'm here. Okay, okay, I need to... She rolled out of bed and clumsily got to her feet. Celeste could feel her body shaking. The sound of enormous hooves grew ever closer. A blend of pure fear and curiosity possessed her body. She couldn't help it. She had to look out the window. Crouched at the foot of her bed, she rose just high enough to get a peek. It's right outside. It's right outside. I need to get out. I need to get out of here. She stayed low and moved to her gear. Scrambling, she managed to slip on her boots and throw on her rucksack. By the time Celeste reached the first floor, she noticed... (gasps) No weight on her hip. My wand! She turned to go back up the stairs, but stopped short. It was too late. It had found her. Celeste, trembling, turned to face her fate. Through the inn's front window, she locked eyes with the creature... A massive horse of magenta light, whose mane bore the maps of galaxies and whose eyes showed a gateway to another world. The great horse stared at Celeste for a moment. This was it. Her shoulders dropped. She took a deep breath. She would not freeze like she did back home. Never again. The horse reared and let out a cry that shattered every pane of glass in town. Celeste knew the horse would charge. Well, her body knew before she did. The mass of light rushed forward, and as the beast smashed through the front wall, Celeste managed to scramble out of the way, sliding under the inn's large dining room table. Her heart raced. Her breath slowed. This was fear. Real fear. Am I going to die? Celeste worked so hard to stay alive in this world. To stay happy. To stay positive. This is not how I go. She steeled herself, took a breath, and out from the rubble by her hand, rolled the wand. When she grabbed it, she noticed the wand began to hum, but differently this time. Celeste slid out from under the table, her eyes scanning the rubble and debris for any sign of the horse. She gripped the wand tight in her left hand and said, I don't know what you do, but you better do something. She spotted the great beast. It was looking for her. She had the element of surprise, and she knew she would only have one chance. One chance to what? Not sure. But she knew this wand had some power, and she was going to use it, dang it. The movement felt so natural, so smooth, like she was born to do this. Her left hand with the wand glided through the air and leveled itself at the horse. 
Her right hand pulled back, clenched tight in a fist, ready to take something, to catch something, she thought. I have to remind you that she had no idea what she was doing. But dang it if she wasn't confident. As the horse turned to face her, she wanted to cry out something heroic, something amazing. But all that came out in the moment was, I will get tucked in again! Nothing happened. The horse simply stared back at her. To her, it looked almost as uncomfortable as she was in this moment. The horse broke the silence and reared back on its hind legs again. Here it comes, Celeste thought. But this time, she would be ready for it. As the horse charged her, she charged it. And when the two met, Celeste looped her arms around the horse's neck and swung around in the air, landing right on the horse's back. Celeste had never rode a horse before, let alone commanded a cosmic beast, but dang it if she wasn't going to try. The beast bucked and reared, but Celeste's right arm was held on tight, her left still clutching the wand. Its hum had become so intense, her arm was going numb. She knew this couldn't go on forever. She could feel the muscles in her right arm tiring. Until they gave out. She was just so tired. So tired of wandering. So tired of being alone. So tired of having everything taken from her. So tired of losing. Enough, she commanded. And the horse was still. The wand still pointing skyward began to glow with a faint hue of magenta. Celeste dismounted the horse and looked it deep in the eyes. You're not my enemy, are you? She raised her small hand in a gesture that could only mean, May I pet you? And as the great beast lowered its head to accept said pet, a realization washed over Celeste. She fell backward and thought back to that day. You're the great horse. You fought the shadow. Why did you attack me? The horse turned from Celeste and began to walk away until it turned its enormous head back as if to say, Are you coming? Celeste stood firm. No, I certainly will not, she said. If you're going anywhere, you're taking me back to ruin. You're taking me back home. She pointed the wand at the horse's face. I know you won't listen to me, but you seem to listen to this. Now take me where I want to go. I'm tired of this. The beast nodded and lowered its head. She hoisted herself on the back of the great horse and sat where a saddle would be. Now you listen to me. You take me home right now. In an instant, the horse took off running, reaching speeds that she thought unimaginable, the world around her becoming a blur of colors, until something caught her eye. She thought, stop, and the horse stopped. Just what caught Celeste's eye? The world had suddenly become alive, beautiful. She had seen a man in the distance, standing alone in a clearing. He's silly. He has a ridiculous hat on. He is on his hands and knees, planting a seed. He looks up at Celeste and smiles at her, and gives a very dorky wave. <laughs> she laughs. And just like that, they're back. Back in their world. Back in a twisted, gnarled wood. The same clearing, but different now. Where the small man had planted a seed now stands an impossibly large tree, millennia old. Am I in the future? She dismounts the horse and walks over to the ancient giant tree. That's where I ended up. 
So even if I want to go home, is there even... She turned to face the horse. But it was gone. It was just her now. No. No, 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 don't go. Don't leave me here alone again. I can't take it. A rustle from the nearby high grass. She heard a bellow, so horrible yet familiar. It gave off the same sickening green light. It shambled out of the grass. A being of twisted shadow emerged and faced Celeste. She walked forward, her eyes burning with fury. With her left hand, she swirled the wand in the air, and bright magenta light began to flood into it. Her right arm shot outward, and the light began to take shape around it. The light became millions of sinews of green and brown, and wrapped themselves around her arm until layer by layer formed a magnificent tower shield. She slammed the shield down in front of her, and said to the shadow, I will never lose again. To be continued, Junior Wizards. Welcome all to All My Fantasy Children. My name is Eric Atano Sayas, and this week we continue our audio drama series, Celeste Silverna and the End of the Ley Lines. If you want to go back and re-listen, I mean, you can, but also... Previously on Celeste Silverna, Celeste, for the first time in her life, faced off in a real battle with a demon. With her newly acquired magenta power, she summoned an immense tower shield. Will she prove victorious? And is she alone in the wood tonight? Let's find out on Celeste Silverna, Part 3. <coughs> The Stranger. Exhausted was not the word. Celeste crumbled to the ground and laid flat on her back, breathing heavily. The tower shield shimmered and disappeared into the air. Whatever energy she had left that day, she used up every last drop battling that demon. But she had done it. She won. As she stared at the tree line above her, she reflected back on the fastest 30 seconds of her existence. Was that me? Did I really just slay a, I guess, a demon? I was so cool. I guess I could totally summon stuff or something. I was all like, I won't lose. And then I waved my wand and pulled all that magenta magic into it. and was like, boom. And then I thought of that big old shield of wood. And boom, it just appeared in my other hand. And then the demon was like, rawr. And it charged like, bang, shield bash that little so-and-so. Did I do a flip? She didn't do a flip, for the record. Oh, man, I totally think I did a flip. I just felt so dang powerful. And I don't know, my wand was charged up or whatever. <laughs> dang. Took that shield in both hands, brought it down on that demon. And like, bong, and it was over. <laughs> wow, I'm still breathing super heavy, aren't I? I must be pretty tired. She was. She didn't quite notice because her adrenaline was still up, but Celeste couldn't move even if she wanted to. She had pushed every single muscle in her body to the point of exhaustion, and they needed a minute. But she was right. She was quite powerful in that moment. Celeste had no idea how she had done it, but dang it, she slayed a demon. Are you so drained after defeating such a weak demon? Celeste's smile washed away. <clears throat> They're behind me, but I can't move an inch. She felt a boot kick the wand out of her hand. The stranger walked in circles, holding the wand, examining it closely. 
This wand possesses quite a power. I watched her fight with that puny thing. Very interesting. It seems you absorb magical energy with your left hand and your right hand shapes it. That shield was a neat choice. I wonder what else you could make. They became lost in their own thoughts, excitedly muttering ideas of weapons and asking questions about Celeste's ability. Is it based on region? Hmm, perhaps the terrain. Could this kid make something to challenge me? I hope. Oh, what if she made a mace? Oh, that would be neat. The more Celeste listened, the more fear she felt. Their voice alone made Celeste's blood run cold. They gave off an aura that she could only describe as killer. As the voice continued to mutter and pace, the reality of Celeste's situation became clear. They called that demon puny? I put everything I had into that fight. Even if I could move, I wouldn't be strong enough to stop this person. But they're going to take my wand. I have to get it back. Even if I can't move, I I have to do something. I have to... The wand disappeared from the stranger's hand with a flicker of light and reappeared in Celeste's. The stranger smiled. Oh, interesting. You want to underestimate me? See where that gets you. Celeste burned with that familiar fire. The wand howled. Celeste's right fist opened. The energy began at her fingertips and wrapped itself around her hand to form a metallic gauntlet. The beams swirled and danced around her until Celeste was clad in a full set of shining magenta plate mail. The stranger's face lit up. A horrifying mix of ferocity and joy washed over them. Oh, that's it. Show me what you really do. Celeste, hearing the challenge, but still laying on her back, responded, You want to test me? Fine. I don't have to move to destroy you. An enormous hand reached through the ground, grabbing at the stranger's feet. They quickly leapt away and landed on a nearby tree branch. Keep going. You have so much potential. The behemoth rose from the soil and stood before the motionless Celeste, a massive, lumbering suit of magenta armor? Well, sort of. We, listener, would know this to be a... what do you call it? A mech suit. It reached down and picked up little Celeste and placed her in the cockpit. As she sat, she slumped forward in her seat, but was caught by her seatbelt. I guess I can't move yet. But you can't. The metal body turned like lightning to face the stranger. You want to see what I can do, huh? Well, let's go! The suit took one large step toward the stranger in the tree, its right arm cocked back, ready to deliver a massive blow. She was battle-hardened now. She knew she could fight. The magenta mech was her will made real. And she... She suddenly could it maintain her footing. She couldn't even keep her eyes open. Her body had reached its limit. The machine's arms dropped to their sides, and in a flash, Celeste was back on the ground, without any glowing magenta armor, fast asleep. She dreamt so much that night. She rode atop a whale as pale as moonlight. Together they cut through an ocean as still as a pond. She could feel the wind in her hair as she looked at the coastline in the distance. Just peeking out of the horizon was an enormous tree with silver, shining leaves. 
The waters are calling, O child of ruin. Will you gather my embers and wield the rage of the seas? Let me join with Magenta and restore light to the world. Now. Wake up! Hey, kid, you alive? Good. Now listen to me. I hope you enjoyed this installment of Celeste Silverna and the End of the Ley Lines. If you want to hear more audio drama type content like this, let us know. Tweet at us, post in our Discord, let us know how much you liked this. Um, and yeah, we'll be back next week with an episode proper. Don't forget to listen. Uh, oh yeah, I'll say it formally. Don't forget to listen, everybody, after episode like 112, after the credits. I'm going to record a little audio drama that has to do with the show or the episode after every single episode from now on. And that includes this one. So, uh, until next time, good night and good game. Picking on a little kid in the woods. My God, Delta, how far our fearless leader has fallen. You still live. Hmm. <laughs> Of course you do. How could you have been killed when you flee from every battle? <laughs> wow, a comedian. It's really been a long time. Heard you've been calling me a coward. You know, I like to think I've changed a bit in that department. You want to see what a coward can do? Why don't you pull out that ancient sword and I'll show you. Not today. I see you've picked up a neat little toy from the great smith of dragon. I've always wanted one of those. Oh, this. Oh, no, 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 no. I can't use this spear on you. I got big plans for this one, baby. You? <laughs> You're not worth the effort. Now, like I said, back away from the kid, or I may have to change my mind about using this thing. Oh, headless. Be a good fool and make sure that girl presents a challenge the next time we meet. Oh, God, you're so dramatic. Don't you have some dueling tournament to lose somewhere? Anyway, kid, wake up. Whoa. That wand is giving off some serious... Oh, I haven't felt anything like that since I used to walk with the Flare Star. Wow, that is old school magic. Ho oh, oh, ho! Wow, kid! You really must be something else, huh? So, anyway... Wake up! Hey, kid, you alive? Good. Now listen to me. Last time we saw Celeste, she was battling with the legendary dragon knight Delta in the forest after absorbing the horse Magenta. She was saved by a mysterious knight with a silly name, and she's just waking up from passing out after an exhausting battle. Let's go. Celeste Silverna, Part 4, Shaping. You awake? Good. Now listen to me, said the man in the shiny ornate armor. He dropped down to his squat with a ka-chunk and waved an armored hand in her face. Hey, I saved you. <laughs> nice job going after Delta. Anyway, I'm Seven. You can call me Mr. Seven. What's your name? The man in the armor spoke fast and spoke often. Celeste was not much of a morning person, but blurted out, Celeste. <clears throat> the man leapt to his feet and began obnoxiously shadowboxing. Oh boy, the now, I hope you all listening know that while I, the narrator, am talking, Mr. Seven has never stopped talking and is definitely speaking oh, underneath cool of eyes. me. Wow, right now. Cool anyway, morning, or whatever time it is now. <laughs> time is kind of weird now. I gotta run, so let's get up and at him. Let's walk and talk. Come on. Celeste, supremely groggy, let out a yawn, brushed herself off, and got to her feet. Like I said, she was never much of a morning person before, and she still wasn't. She needed a cup of coffee or tea right when she woke up. No talking, no questions, no nothing before that. She was dreading this walk. But to be honest, Celeste was so groggy, she barely knew if she were awake or dreaming. She ran her fingers through her hair. 
we go back. Did you save me from the bad person back there? I'm sorry, slow down. The bad person? Yes, Grogalina, I saved you from the bad person. Their name is Delta, and they suck. Celeste stopped walking. Okay, but why? Why do they suck? Oh, let me count the ways. Tries to kill, like, everyone they meet. Tried to kill you. Stole this magic guy's sword. Uh, let me see. Made a kid build a robot to try to kill them or something. It's a little convoluted. No, no, no. I mean, why are you helping me? Mr. Seven's silly act washed away. The world is not as it was. It's wounded and shattered. But there has to be a way to restore it. When I saw that wand of yours work, it took me back to a time when I was young. I felt a hope burning in me that I haven't felt in eons. I swore an oath once to give this world what it needs. I guess keeping you alive is part of that promise. Anywho, let's walk and talk. Sorry if I was a lot first thing in the morning. Let's start over again. Mr. Seven, nice to meet you. He smiled and held out his gauntlet-clad hand to shake hers. Celeste Silvernum, you are one cool and powerful kid. He put back on the goofy act. I can tell by that fancy wand of yours that you have quite a job to do, and I want you to get to it. But first, we gotta chat. Let's go. Celeste reached out her hand and shook the knights. The second she felt the cold of his armor, the grogginess washed away. She had been starving, but suddenly her hunger was satisfied. Celeste felt amazing, energized, happy. He began to speak, and it was like every word was as clear as music resonating in her mind. She would remember every word this man uttered as they strolled that day. It was as if it was being tattooed in her long-term memory as he spoke. What is happening? Is this what he can do? Is this his, like, talent or whatever? It's like I could not pay attention and still get every word. Celeste realized that she hadn't been paying attention, and so did Seven. Hey, kid, listen, this is wisdom I'm spewing here. I'm giving you super valuable information, so don't make me repeat myself. You said your name is Seven, codename Headless, and not from a city in the sky called Dragon. According to you, the whole world has been turned upside down by a cataclysmic event of unknown origin. All things have been twisted, contorted as a result. Magic seasons, day and night cycles. The world is different than it was. What the heck? Oh, let this be a lesson to you, little Miss Sleepy Time Tea. We all have our neat little tricks. But now that I have your attention... They began to walk, and the knight spoke. Celeste took in every single word. She learned about the world before the Great Shadow, about the five regions and beyond. He spoke of moon queens and sky kings, cities in the clouds and worlds underground, of ruin, but not the one Celeste recognized. The knight spoke of a demon lord that scarred a land so deeply that the world's magic could no longer reach. Celeste had never wondered why her family couldn't use magic. She just knew that the Silvernus didn't. Couldn't? She didn't care. She knew her home wasn't some shattered land, scarred from an ancient battle. It was a beautiful place filled with adventure and mystery, where a young girl's dreams could be carried by the strongest winds in fantasy, where the tall grass bends and dances to the music of the gales. She chuckled. He'll never know about the pines and the marshes or the songs of the birds. Ruin is where her parents raised her to be strong and find joy in everyday things. So while the knight spoke of it with doom and gloom, Celeste cracked a secret smile. Mr. Seven stopped talking. He sniffed the air and suddenly looked excited. 
He walked down to a small stream and cupped his hand and took a taste and nodded. He sniffed nearby flowers and nodded. He ripped tiny bits of leaves and herbs, tasted them, and nodded. He turned to Celeste and said, Okay, I don't know if you've noticed, but we've been walking and I've been talking for a whole week. Her jaw hit the ground. What? There is just no... But I haven't even had to... You didn't stop talking for... I'm sorry, what? Oh, come on, little Miss Sleepy Time T. After all this, you thought you were the only one with a few tricks up your sleeve? Hi there, listener. I know we've never talked about what Headless Seven can do, so here we go. When he's speaking, you're filled with energy. Your focus becomes razor sharp, and his words seem to embed themselves into your long-term memory, even when you're not really paying attention, which Celeste hadn't always been doing, yet she got to hang on to every word. In fact, if he's telling a story, you don't need to use the bathroom, eat, sleep, anything. He can just keep you going and listening, as long as he wants to keep it rolling. Anyway, back to the story. Mr. Seven stood in a clearing surrounded by trees, kicking over some rocks and kicking up dirt to make a fire pit. Okay, Celeste, welcome to your first day of camp. I'm going to make tonight's fire for you, but I want you to shack up here for two whole weeks all by yourself. I'll be leaving you enough supplies for two whole days. Now, I know you've been surviving out there and roughing it, and I'm really proud of you, but you've got a lot to learn and a lot to do and not a lot of time to do it. I want you to think of this camping trip as sort of a training regimen. Mr. Seven's training to be the best wizard we can be and save the world from darkness camp. The goal is, in two weeks, for you to have a little better handle on that power of yours, but we'll get to that. First, I want you to craft yourself a tent. Just a tent. You need to maintain its structure and durability while you sleep if you want to catch any Zs. But that'll be no problem for a stud like you. Here's the fun part. If you want tools or luxuries, you're going to have to make them. He very excitedly pointed toward the wand with a, yeah, yeah. I know this sounds silly, and I know I'm being annoying, and I know there's a lot of rules in camp, but trust me, if you do this right and you really take it seriously, next time you run into someone like Delta, you won't need anyone to save you. But anyway... Let's talk about cool stuff. Like, okay, you have tremendous power. Yes, that is true. But can you wield it? Nope. No control over it. You're like a kid holding a fire hose, flying all over the place, just going where it flings you. This power, though, is so much more than just a flow of energy. No, no, no. It's not a hose. It is limitless potential. You can draw out the energy of the planet and shape it to your will. You're like... A glass blower. That wand, that's your big metal straw. You, you're the artisan with time and mastery. Ugh, the things you'll be able to do. Mwah, I'm just excited thinking about it. But you've been trying to make glass houses before you've even mastered making a simple wine glass. You'll get to the big stuff. Trust me. I know you will. But things take time to develop and master. And that's okay. That's the point of camp, to have fun and reflect, all while getting stronger and improving. During his speech, Seven had been pacing, but towards the end he slowed down and walked over to the stream, gazing at his reflection in the water. Hey, Celeste, come here, join me. She walked over and the two sat together. Hey, Celeste, do me a favor. Quests given to you by primordial forces are very great and grand, but fill up your life. Find joy. 
find stories to tell, okay? When I see you again, you better have some yarns to spin. But until then, enjoy your journey. Life is an amazing adventure. Be sure to savor it. And if you do run into trouble before you're ready, like like big trouble, it's okay to run away. Stories are told by those who survived. I only have as many as I do because... Whatever, that's for another time. Okay, be good. See ya, enjoy camp. Um, one last thing, one last thing. He said that a lot, Mr. Seven. He would oftentimes walk off into the distance, turn around, and sprint back. Just one more thing, just one more thing. Your power is like this campfire. (laughs) See, keep it fed and tended to, and it will keep you and others safe. Oh, that was a good one. I liked that one. Okay, see ya. This saying he was done running away and running back happened about ten times. But this time, he really was finished. During the entire speech, Celeste hadn't even thought to utter a word. And as he walked away, she felt sad seeing him go. Besides a magenta cosmic horse, this was her first friend. Strange and silly as he was, Celeste could tell that there was a deep sadness in him. Anyone pretending to be that jolly has seen quite a few things in their time. I never even got the chance to thank him. And she watched him vanish into the distance. Just as soon as she had made a friend... Celeste was alone again. But this time she was determined. She was starting camp. Mr. Seven's camp to start the... God, it's the one thing she could never remember was the title of this dang camp. She clapped her hands together, rubbed them, and said, Time to get stronger. Let's make a tent. A tent? (laughs) What's a tent? She's made suits of armor, demon-crushing tower shields. Come on, this would be a piece of cake. It was not... Celeste noticed that up to this point, her power had only manifested in times of danger and duress, and it was sort of been a spur-of-the-moment kind of gigantic release of power, rather than a tiny drip. So learning to control the flow that she was taking in and give that tiny shape was giving her a bit of a challenge. She stood in that clearing, conjuring and conjuring, drawing in energy, projecting it outward, but only making very tiny, cute tents. She kept whispering herself, Control it. Make it larger, but not too large. Make it bigger, but not gigantic. You don't want to fall asleep, Celeste. But she laughed. The important thing that I want you all to know is that she laughed. Celeste was enjoying herself for the first time in this new world of hers. Big metal straw, wine glass, wine glass, wine glass, and boop, a tent. A perfect magenta tent. (gasps) Magenta? No, it was the color of just tan cloth. She had completely removed the magenta glow. (gasps) What progress? It was just a tent. A tent. Oh my god. I done it. I made a tent. I am an artisan. I'm the artisan of legend. I am Celeste. (laughs) The tent fell down, collapsed, and vanished in sparkling light. Celeste was fantastic at conjuring amazing things, but keeping their structural integrity and duration while she concentrated on other things was kind of her drawback at the moment. She had been at this for several hours, so in her mind, it was time for a break. Let me crack open those supplies Seven left me. 
Next to the fire was a very beautiful, ornate, gift-wrapped box with a big gold ribbon that said, Open me when you're hungry. When did he find the time? She pulled on the beautiful yellow ribbon and the gift box opened. And inside was a plethora of... What? Notes? Oh my god, there are just notes in here? First one, let me see. Oh my goodness. Get your own food, ha ha. Here's enough bits of wisdom to last you two days. Oh, come on! Each note card had a little bit of trivia on it about the current region she was in, with just fun facts as well. But listener, what was really alarming is that each one had ornately drawn Celeste Silverna diagrams of how to accomplish the things he wanted her to do. For example, gathering tea. Thirsty, Celeste? Ho, ho! You have a variety of tea as you enter the great region of Moon Crescent. Right now, you're still just at the edge of truth. But soon, oh, the archipelago, oh, I can't wait. She studied the note card, and it showed her a tiny cartoon Celeste walking down to the stream and gathering herbs. For the best tea in all of truth, you're going to want to gather Fire Blossom. Celeste stared at the card in amazement. When when did he make these? How? You'll be able to identify Fire Blossom by its bright orange fiery leaves. Now the flower will be a bright green. You want to only gather the leaves. And when you rub them in your thumbs, you'll feel a little heat generate. That's how you know it's Fire Blossom. Now, the best part about that tea is get a pot of cold water. Oh, oh wait! I didn't leave you with anything. You're going to have to conjure a pot. Then you're going to rub the leaves just enough to get them piping hot and drop them in the water. That's it. The leaves will do the trick. Boil the water. Let it steep. Sip your tea. Then no more groggy Miss Celeste. Boom. Yes, listener. The cards were this thorough. Seven is just that kind of guy. I want you to imagine several dozen note cards attached to a key ring, and every time you use it like a flipbook, you see the next step in your adventure. Anyway, Celeste flipped the tiny book with her thumb, laughed, rolled her eyes, and said, Oh, man, guess I'm going down to the stream. She gathered her fire blossom, walked back. Oh, I didn't even make a tent. I forgot. Oh, and not. It's falling. It's getting dark. Oh, dang it. Oh, dang it. Dang, dang. <laughs> she laughed and laughed and laughed. Yes, this was going to be very hard, but she had two weeks all to herself, no walking, no high pressure, no high danger, and dang it, she was going to have fun for the first time in a long time. As night fell and the fire crackled, it was tent time, baby. <sighs> okay, I am a glass blower. I have my metal tube. She waved her wand in the sky, and I am an apprentice. I am not an artisan, and I need to accept this. Now, a tent, a tent, a tent. She closed her eyes and thought back to ruin, when her father and her would go camping in the woods overnight. She would sit and keep the fire fed while he set up the most glorious and beautiful tent. She remembered how long it would take. Little Celeste would sit by the fire and say, Daddy, what's inside the tent? 
Papa Celeste would list off luxuries, like there's a Shea Lounge Celeste, there's a beautiful hot tub for you, there's all sorts of goodies and treats inside, a cotton candy machine, and little Celeste would say, yay, and run into the tent. She remembered drifting off to sleep and saying, Daddy, I want to do this every single day, forever. And her papa replied, Pretty soon you'll be too big, you'll need your own tent. But don't worry, I'll move the cotton candy machine in there for you, no sweat. Celeste hadn't thought about those days in a long time. She held the wand high over her head and said, I want a cotton candy machine. Beams of magenta light begin to swirl all around her, pouring into the wand. Her right hand formed a small sphere of silver. As Celeste thought about the tent she had always dreamed of, the orb grew and grew and swirled. Celeste stretched her right arm forward and opened her palm, saying, Cotton candy machine now! The sphere in her right hand fired out dozens of magenta beams, all meeting together in the clearing. Every time Celeste did this, she always thought, God, this is so cool! And where the beams met, sure as day, was a beautiful, magnificent, magenta-colored tent. No cotton candy machine, no, but a dang good tent. One she'd be able to sleep under for days on end. All right, she thought. Step one, complete. Do tent. Make tent. Now, how the heck am I going to keep this thing structurally at whatever he said while I sleep? Doesn't matter. Time to make a teapot. Now, listener, are you wondering if we're about to talk about Celeste Silverna, one of the most powerful beings in our collective universe, making a teapot and a cup? Yes! One thing at a time, Celeste was great at. Super duper. Mech suits. Tents. But two things? Oof. This was going to be her greatest (laughs) challenge. Kidding. It was going to be a great challenge for her. So great a challenge, in fact, that that first night... She fell asleep trying to form the tea kettle. When she woke up, she realized that her tent had collapsed on her. Dang it. This is so hard. When I'm trying, I can't even make a teapot. How the heck am I ever going to make some kind of weapon or something on command if I need to... Wait a minute. Celeste noticed that the entire time she had been moping, the tent was still intact. It had just collapsed. She did it. She kept something formed while she slept. Was it structurally sound? No, but ding dang it if she wasn't making progress. And it was really cute because the magenta tent was covering her mouth, so she sounded like this. Uh-huh, I'm the most powerful wizard in the world, I sure am. This tent here is amazing. I kept this thing while I slept. Mr. Seven, can you hear me? Because I'm drinking tea tonight. I'm drinking Fire Blossom tea this morning. I'm drinking it with every meal. Oh, meals? I'm making a frying pan. I'm making a little stove. I'm going to set myself up here. This is going to be the greatest two weeks of my life. That is right, Mr. Seven. We are filling up our life. Ooh, I'm going to get back to whittling. Oh, I haven't whittled in so long. I'm going to try all the teas that Mr. Seven left for me to make. Oh, I'm going to make every recipe. Oh, I can't wait. Oh, this is just the best. (sighs) Thank you, Mr. Seven. Seven. Headless Seven. You gave me so much. I'm going to bring back that great world you told me about. But until then, I got a lot of living to do. Oh, I'm going to have so many stories to tell by then, he won't be able to get a single word in. It'll be my turn to talk for a week. (sighs) All right, let's get some tea. 
Ah, Celeste, when last we saw you, you were undertaking quite a rigorous training regimen. If you remember, listener, Headless Seven, the legendary knight and magical storyteller, left Celeste with a big task. Spend two weeks in the wilderness and create camp. The catch was, Celeste had to use her ability to create everything from a tent to cookware. Well, two weeks came and went. Camp Magenta Leyline was a huge success. And now, we see her packing up. Well, breaking down her creations. This had been a wonderful time for Celeste. A memory that would bring her a smile during the many hard times ahead of her. Her time at camp sure was helpful, though. She could now create several magical objects at once with almost no effort. Celeste felt cool. Camp had given her confidence a much-needed boost, not only in her magical abilities, but also in herself, which is very important when you're the person tasked with restoring light to the world. Time to pack up, she said with a chuckle, and just like that, poof, 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 her conjured camping equipment disappeared with a magenta twinkle. How neat. But where was Celeste off to next? feels as if she's been in the region of truth for years. She reached into her pocket. Hmm, let me check my Mr. Seven flipbook thing he gave me. Ah, yes. The Headless Seven Celeste Silverna Super Travel Guide, he called it. She started to flip the pages with her thumb, and Seven's drawings began to move. Celeste watched as the cartoon Seven left the camp and headed down a trail marked by a sign labeled Moonlit Path. The drawing waddled down the path and approached a tiny stairway that led into the ground. As she continued to flip, the silly Headless Seven drawing started to become more and more realistic, until she could have sworn he was right in front of her. His goofy smile was replaced by an incredibly serious look, shaking his head as if to say no. Above the drawing of the stairway were the letters RTT. She continued to flip, but the drawing stayed the same. He must really want her to remember this part. Okay, no RTT stairs. I got it, Celeste said, and she watched as the drawings returned to their normal, goofy style. The goofy headless seven returned to his waddling and moved over to a sketch of a city by... Oh, goodness, Celeste thought. This drawing is terrible. But wait, if he had the ability and also the time to draw that exact recreation of himself right down to the decorations on his armor hundreds of times, why the heck was the drawing of this city so awful? It's as if he didn't even try. I mean, I understand the style choice of the cute little Wadley Seven, but this is on another level of ugly. Celeste continued on for quite a while about how almost personally insulting this drawing was. But back to her adventure. She bid farewell to her beloved campsite with a little wave and found the start of the moonlit path, the road where truth becomes moon crescent. Celeste had grown quite fond of the landscape of truth. The moss-covered stones, babbling brooks, and forests. Goodness, these forests! So beautiful and so dense you can rarely see the sun through the canopy. She loved the way the ground was spongy and springy from layers of decaying plant matter. Celeste was procrastinating. Yes, she loved these things, but in reality, she was scared to move and move on. She knew that she barely survived in truth, and now she had to enter another new world? How many would she have to learn to adapt to and survive in? Dread began to creep up into her shoulders, squeezing the muscles tight. Her breathing was fast and tight. No, no it wasn't. It was slow, deliberate, and peaceful. Celeste took one more deep inhale 
And when she released it, <sighs> she felt the tension in her shoulders vanish. She shrugged, brushed her shoulders off, and said, You know, I'm just the same me. I'm just more in control. And that's right, Celeste. Go you. You are more in control. She knew that she was the person who survived for weeks. No, wait. Not survived. Thrived. Using her power. Not the wand or the ley lines. And you know, that thought made her smile. Woo, I'm cool, she whispered, and started down the moonlit path. After about an hour on the trail... Celeste began to see just how different the landscape of Moon Crescent was from Truth. The first thing she noticed was the path itself. Trails and roads in Truth consisted mostly of piled leaf litter and decomposing plants underneath. Over eons of being stomped flat by travelers, these layers condensed into a slightly raised, soft, very comfortable surface to walk on. Well, that spongy walkway was starting to dissipate, and Celeste could see the layers of plant matter thinning out as she walked. Soon, the path was replaced by a hard-packed, dusty road, uneven and cracked. Celeste found the change irritating. Not having to look down as you walked and constantly adjust your footing was a luxury she took for granted while in truth. But as she looked around... She knew that truth was now a world away, and where she stood was the start of Moon Crescent. The earthy tones were replaced by icy blues and metallic sheens. The plants of this forest to Celeste didn't look like, well, plants. They were something more akin to metal sculptures. The wooden bark of trees gleamed like silver, and their leaves rustled in the wind like sheets of platinum chainmail. Here's a fun Moon Crescent fact for you, listener. The forests of Moon Crescent fall short in terms of density when compared to Truth, Dragon, and Geode. But what they lack in amount, they make up for in biodiversity. Trailblazers have said that when walking through Moon Crescent, you could spend your entire life looking for two plants that are exactly the same. The cause of this is the wind. The winds of this region are such a unique phenomenon, impossible to predict, almost sentient. The gales of Moon Crescent carry seeds and pollen to lands all over fantasy. But what is most mysterious is how the winds will bring back seeds and pollen, almost collecting souvenirs from its travels. But back to Celeste. She was absolutely fascinated by these beautiful and unique trees. These, well, not so much evergreens as ever blues really caught her eye. Each of the tree's waxy needles were the length of her hand, and their strong smell perfumed the air around her. Celeste really liked plants, fun Silverna fact. Her responsibility, back in ruin, was tending the small family garden. How cool. But as she bid farewell to the everblues and continued her walk, in the distance, a short way down the path, she spotted something familiar. Two great trees forming an archway. Oh, those are the ones from Mr. Seven's drawings, right before the ugly drawing of the city. He drew Mr. Waddle Seven heading under these trees. Woo! And with a huge smile, Celeste took off running. The heels of her short boots clicked against the hard-packed path. She passed under the arched trees, looked up, and tipped an invisible hat to them. Thanks for the warm welcome, Moon Crescent. When she came to a stop and looked out, the view took her breath away. For miles in front of her stretched a grassy valley, every inch of it covered in wildflowers. To her left and right were towering mountain ranges that surrounded the valley like two massive arms. 
The mountains were the color of sapphire and aquamarine. The light of the midday sun made them sparkle. To Celeste, they looked like two massive creations of hers. She chuckled and wondered if she'd ever be able to conjure something as big. The path she stood on wound through the valley like a snake, and Celeste was overjoyed to take a stroll and take in the sights. The wind was at her back, and its gentle push made this trek feel as if she were floating through the air. When Celeste would stop to admire a flower or gaze up at the shimmering cliffs, the wind stopped too. She noticed the game that the wind was playing with her and decided to have a little fun. With a mischievous grin, she stopped mid-step, and the wind followed suit. Okay, now let's see if we... Whoosh! She took off sprinting down the path. The wind on her heels, she leapt into the air and... Celeste began to glide. Even if just for a second, the wind kept her airborne before gently returning her to the ground. This was paradise. She... Oh, gosh, the smells. A medley of sweet grasses, delicate flowers, and distant rain were carried on this wonderful wind. Celeste noticed a ferocity, yet also an elegance to it. To her, this was like walking through a park with an old friend. She wondered if she spread her arms like wings. Could the wind carry her all the way back to ruin? Ah, but this was nothing compared to the gales of ruin, she thought. But not bad, though, Moon Crescent. Not bad at all. Sadly, Celeste's time in the valley was coming to a close. The hard-packed path ended where the two mountain ranges converged. An enormous wall of stone stood before her, and the only way forward was through it. The glee she had felt during her jaunt through the valley washed away when Celeste saw where the path led. A tunnel. It was so dark. A pitch-black maw that Celeste thought would swallow her up the moment she stepped inside. Yes, she was scared, but no, this did not slow her down. She was not the same Celeste that once cowered at the sight of a cosmic horse. She was the wielder of the planet's power, the holder of the event horizon, the person who stood against Delta, the most feared knight in history, and lived. The dark? Ha! Celeste spent two weeks fending for herself in the wilds of truth, and not once was she afraid when night fell. Ha! Unholstering her wand, Celeste held the event horizon high. As it began to draw in the light of chaos's energy, she imagined what she needed, and with her right hand, used the power of order to shape that chaos. The light condensed like crystals of ice forming in water, taking the shape of a perfect magenta lantern. Armed with the warmth of the planet's light, she set out into the darkness of the tunnel. Oof, it was very quiet. The only sound in that tunnel was the echo of Celeste's short boots. She held the lantern out in front of her. Its magenta glow lit her path. Her hand slid along the wall to the left. The darkness was almost disorienting, and the stability it brought made her feel, well, a little better anyway. It was scary. She can't lie to you, I won't lie to you. While the walls were polished smooth, though, the ceiling was... Strangely a work of art, the glow of the lantern revealed elaborate carvings into the stone above her. Vivid pictures that told a story as Celeste walked. From the minute she entered the tunnel, her eyes were fixed on that magenta-lit story unfolding with every step. 
her left hand still sliding along that cold, smooth stone. The carvings told a story about a tower, that once upon a time, when night fell, a wizard in a tower would pull all of the shadow and pain in the world unto them, so that the people could smile. But this was too great a task, and as time passed, the misery and dread the wizard absorbed overtook them, and the tower became a cursed place. It would remain that way for generations until the queen arrived. The queen used her magic to break the curse on the tower. The moon queen chose to stay within it and face all of the world's pain by herself. That is, until the dragon queen came. And together, they turned the sorrows within that tower into light and made the humans. But the moon queen still felt the pain of the world. One day, she played a- Whoa, whoa, whoa! Celeste's left hand felt the wall suddenly disappear and she fell over into an opening. Her left hip hit the ground with a metallic clang. When Celeste held up her lantern, she saw she had fallen into a narrow hallway that led to a single door. Celeste got to her feet and slowly walked toward the end of the hall, her boots ringing out on the steel catwalk below. The reflective surface of the door made it look special, but it wasn't. It was just a door. But why was there a door in this tunnel? Where did it lead? Now, Celeste was a curious person, but let me tell you, not that curious. And after a good minute of studying the door, she turned to go. Walking back toward the tunnel, she was a bit shaken up, but ready to get this over with. Lantern out in front, she approached the end of the catwalk where three stairs led back to the tunnel. She liked the way the light peeled away the darkness, uncovering more and more with every step she took. Reaching the small stairs, Celeste placed one foot down before she saw them. Two people, leaning against the wall opposite of her. She would have screamed if fear hadn't choked it in her throat. Staggering backward, Celeste's lantern lit their faces with a trembling glow. She felt her heart beating in her chest. Damn it, they caught me off guard. The two figures were strangely dressed, but vastly different from one another, as if in elaborate costumes from different regions or eras. The one on the right was dressed in layers of heavy black robes adorned with toxic green jewels. The other was covered head to toe in ornate armor, badly damaged from countless battles. The figure removed their helmet and let out a bellowing laugh. <laughs> Hermit. Hermit, look what she made. Pointing at Celeste's lantern. What are the odds, Hermit? <laughs> the armor-clad figure continued to laugh, clutching their sides. The one called Hermit kept her eyes on Celeste. She was a barn owl person, her head cocked slightly to the side as she spoke. Heading through the mountain, are we, little spark? Celeste said nothing. Instead, she focused on her breathing. The two had caught her by surprise and no doubt expected her to panic. After all, they had the advantage in terms of number and positioning, and the only way back into the tunnel was through them. But for now, she had to breathe. Speak! The one called Hermit commanded. Celeste slowly moved her hand to her hip, her eyes locked with Hermit's. Go on, little spark. Draw upon your fading light and speak. The tip of Celeste's finger had barely twitched toward her wand when the robed figure moved. Her hands were like lightning. Celeste hadn't even blinked before the one called Hermit stood on the small stairs. Hood down, 
holding a lantern of her own. It was three times the size of Celeste's, and inside burned the same green fire that Celeste saw in ruin. Its sickening glow illuminated the hallway. Fine, if you and your light will stay silent. How about a word from a greater arcana? Kachunk! Hermit's lantern fell to the floor. From the sleeve of her robe, a smoldering metal chain slithered like a snake and wrapped itself around the lantern. Eyes wide, Hermit smirked as she began spinning the chain. Faster and faster, her lantern had become an enormous flail, cutting through the air with blinding speed. She began to walk forward. Celeste knew she had to make a move or she would be crushed. Hermit was savoring this, and that made her slow. Celeste's eyes studied the spinning lantern. Hermit spun the chain at a steady pace. She would have to time this perfectly. Celeste stood still, hand on her wand, watching the green light as it spun. She could feel its wind striking at her face. Not yet. A little closer. Hermit, overwhelmed with bloodlust, and Celeste, springing her trap, screamed in unison, Now! Celeste's magenta lantern vanished, and with a beam of light fired upward. Hermit's arm was flung back, her green lantern high above them now, the chain pinned to the ceiling by a magenta trident. Now it was Hermit who was caught off guard, and Celeste continued with her assault. The hall was narrow. Whatever she created would have to fit. Celeste's right arm extended, and as she gripped a beam of light, it took the shape of a bow. In one fluid motion, she holstered her wand and conjured an arrow. As she drew the bowstring back, Hermit fell backward onto the metal catwalk in fear. She knew this was the end. Celeste released the arrow, and a crackling beam of energy erupted from the bow. The brilliant light reflected in Hermit's eyes, and she shut them, accepting her fate. Two hands appeared over the hooded hermit and reached out to block the beam of light. It was the armor-clad figure, their massive hands conjuring a huge, sickly green rose that filled the narrow hall. As Celeste's arrow bore into the rose, each petal was peeled away one by one until the flower was bare and the arrow disappeared with a twinkle. No way. They blocked it? You've grown careless, Hermit, the armored one said, their hands giving off magenta smoke. The remains of their rose turned to ash and blew away. Hermit was furious. Chariot? Hmm? The armored one responded. Thank you. Don't mention it. The one called Chariot placed an open palm on the top of Hermit's head and knelt down. Now, don't get angry, Hermit. You relax. I'll take this one. With their massive gauntlet hand, they gently pulled Hermit's hood back over her head and stood to face Celeste. Nice try, little spark. You gave two of the greater arcana a run for their money. And for that, may your last moments be filled with pride. Chariot's first step toward Celeste shook the steel catwalk like thunder. They were more like a tank than a human in a suit of armor. And as Celeste backed away from the lumbering juggernaut, she felt the cold steel of the door against her back. 
She watched his chariot go closer and closer, her hands frantically searching the surface behind her. Finally, her hand felt the doorknob, and as she twisted, she threw her weight backward, slinking through the cracked door and slamming it behind her. Now don't hide now, little spark. With no effort, chariot ripped the door off its hinges, revealing another door made of magenta light. What? said a frustrated chariot as they opened the second door, only to find another magenta door. In fact, there were hundreds of doors that Celeste had created. It would buy her some much-needed time to run. Safe for the moment, the room Celeste found herself in was odd. There was a small booth with glass windows, a monitor with no power to it, and a sign... A sign that Celeste missed as she hopped the turnstile and rushed down two flights of stairs. At the bottom was nothing. What? She stood on a small raised stone platform with nothing in front of her. To her left and right was another tunnel, more narrow than the one above her. Celeste leaned over the edge and looked to her left and right. Nothing? Wait. In the distance, there was a yellow light that was coming closer. A whistle blared. An engine chugged, brakes squeaked, and there it was, a train car sliding to a stop in front of her. Its doors parted open and a chime chimed, do-do-do-do, welcoming her aboard. Boom! Boom! Celeste turned and saw that Chariot and Hermit were halfway down the stairs. There was only one way out. She hopped off the platform and into the empty train car. The doors closed behind her and the train took off. Celeste saw Chariot charge the train, rear back their fist, and slam it into the side. Boom! But nothing. She got away. Celeste watched with relief as her pursuers in the platform faded into the distance. Oh, exhausted, she fell hard into her seat. Finally, she could relax. (laughs) Thank goodness for this train. I thought I was done for if... She scanned the car and noticed something familiar. R-T-T... Oh no. The warning from the flipbook. She went down a stairway that led underground, and the letters RTT. She read a small sign above the door that read, The Rails Tumbleweed Trolley. And as the train began to pick up speed, Celeste knew that her bad day had only just begun. Hey everybody, it's Aaron here one last time, I promise. I just wanted to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for listening to our show. Whether this is your 190th episode or you're new to the show, I cannot express how much we appreciate you taking the time to listen to our stuff. Um, You're wonderful. I really can't thank you enough. It makes me very reflective and emotional listening back to all this stuff and editing it all together and seeing the growth of five years and knowing that these ideas were spawned by listeners. So it's all so wonderful. Anyway, I just wanted to say thank you. You are the greatest. And I can't wait to talk to you again when there's uh, another compilation of five episodes when we've made 10 of these. So anyway, thanks so much for listening. Um, I can't wait to see where this show goes in the next five years. Um, Anyway, till next time, Junior Wizards, good night and good game.